Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Tiffany Meyer and here are today's top stories. A suspected killer still on the loose two days after a shooting in Maine. Why a person close to the suspect says it will be very hard to find him. A New York judge is forcing Ivanka Trump to testify. And will he give her enough time to appeal the decision? Congressman George Santos from New York pleading not guilty to additional charges against him. Those charges include stealing donors' identities and running up thousands of dollars on their credit cards. Israeli forces say they have located Hamas's headquarters underground. But what it's under is what's most surprising. And President Biden meeting China's top diplomat amid conflicts in the Middle East. What the two discussed as the U.S. strikes Iranian-linked targets in self-defense. Suspect still on the loose. Two days after a deadly shooting in Maine, the prime suspect is still on the run. NTD's Arian Pastar has an update on authorities' search. Authorities in Maine are searching in the woods, on family-owned properties, and even in a river. That's after a gunman killed at least 18 at a bowling alley and a restaurant. That happened on Wednesday. And on Friday, still no sight of the main suspect. Authorities are now sending dive teams with sonar to the bottom of a local river. That we will be putting uh, divers uh, in the water. The suspect's car was found close to the river. He reportedly owns a jet ski and a small boat. Authorities on Friday also said they found a note at the suspect's home. A law enforcement source reportedly said the note described how to find things and how to dispose of things. This could suggest that the suspect thought he will no longer be alive when the note is found. Authorities also recovered his cell phone. This makes a search more complicated because they can't use the phone to track him. Newly elected House Speaker Mike Johnson was asked about stricter gun laws while on Fox News. The problem is the human heart. It's not guns, it's not the weapons. At the end of the day, we have to protect the, the right of the citizens to protect themselves, and that's the Second Amendment. And, and with the suspect on the run, Canada is ramping up border security. Uh, we have been engaged uh, with uh, our, uh, our uh, border services agencies and with uh, appropriate police forces. to. The main suspect is Robert Cart. He's a certified weapons instructor and member of the U.S. Army Reserve. Officials did say he has reported mental health issues in the past, which included hearing voices. His longtime neighbor reportedly said Card is able to hide for an extremely long time. That's due to his military background, also the fact that he grew up in the area and knows the woods of Maine very well. Arian Pastar, NTD News. And just 30 minutes ago, law enforcement in Maine gave an update on the situation. They said divers will keep searching the river until it gets dark. They also published the names and pictures of all 18 people who were killed. The victims range in age from 14 to 76. Authorities have now lifted shelter-in-place orders in most places. Will Ivanka Trump testify against her father? A New York judge may soon find out after ordering her to testify in the civil fraud case. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more. Ivanka Trump was unsuccessful in her attempt to dodge a subpoena issued in the New York civil fraud case. Judge Arthur Angeron on Friday said she does have to testify. An appellate court previously dismissed her from the case, saying the claims against her were too old. Her attorney argued that she shouldn't now be forced to appear. 
Angeron responded that the senior Trump's daughter has clearly availed herself of the privilege of doing business in New York. But Angeron said she won't have to testify before next Wednesday, giving her time to appeal his decision. And speaking of subpoenas, special counsel Jack Smith withdraws his second subpoena in two weeks. He had requested fundraising records from Donald Trump's 2020 campaign. It's unclear why he's reversed course. Earlier this month, Smith also withdrew a subpoena seeking records from political action committee Save America. There's speculation that his inquiry may be slowing down. Since last year, federal prosecutors have been trying to determine whether Trump and his aides violated fundraising laws by allegedly spreading false claims that the election had been rigged. The former president's team raised nearly $250 million. Prosecutors have been issuing grand jury subpoenas and reviewing tons of records in an effort to connect the Trump campaign and save America to their election fraud case. The financial part of the investigation didn't make its way into the four-count indictment announced in August. And in other D.C. drama, media outlets are clamoring to get inside the courtroom. A federal judicial panel denied their bid for permission to broadcast the Trump trial live from the courtroom. Not giving up, they've now asked presiding judge Tanya Chutkin for her permission. Chutkin had only ordered prosecutors to respond to the request by next week. But on Friday, one day after Politico reported the oversight, she posted a quick note asking for the Trump team's input by November 10. The extra time gives them an opportunity to first see what prosecutors have to say about it. Arlene Richards, NTD News. More charges against Congressman George Santos from New York. The charges allege he stole donors' identities. Also that he ran up thousands of dollars in fraudulent charges on their credit cards and more. The Republican representative from Long Island, New York, appeared at a federal court today. He pleaded not guilty to all charges against him. The judge set a trial date for next September. The judge turned down a request by prosecutors to have the trial as soon as May. Santos could face a lengthy prison term if convicted. He's free on bail while he awaits trial. The court appearance came the morning after some of his Republican colleagues launched an effort to expel him from Congress. Back in May, Santos pleaded not guilty to 13 federal charges. They included wire fraud, money laundering, theft of public funds and false statements to the U.S. House of Representatives. Another Democrat now officially running for president. Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips is President Biden's newest competitor. He says he's campaigning because he doesn't believe Biden can win in 2024. It appears the president, Joe Biden, is going to lose the next election. The numbers are horrific. If you're a Democratic voter and you care about 2024, uh, it matters. And the absence of any competition, any alternative, is antithetical to democracy. And I think it's important that Americans have choices at a time like this. I love the president. I voted for his policies. I'm a Democrat. I support our policies and will continue to do so uh, with new twists, with new approaches and new visions. Phillips says Democrats need younger candidates and must prevent former President Trump from getting reelected. Phillips is one of the wealthiest members of Congress. His official entry into the race comes after months of speculation. Experts say he has little chance of winning the Democrat nomination as he's relatively unknown nationally. And he's already missed the deadline to enter the primary race in Nevada. 
Israeli forces have reported shocking intelligence, indicating that a Hamas terrorist group's headquarters is located beneath a hospital in Gaza. The news comes after an Israeli naval unit conducted overnight operations off the Gaza coast. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest. The Hamas terrorist group is known for its complex network of underground tunnels in the Gaza Strip. On Friday, Israeli Defense Forces spokesperson Daniel Hagari reported new intelligence about these infamous tunnels. I repeat that Hamas uses hospitals as their infrastructures. Hamas has turned hospitals into command and control centers and hideouts for Hamas terrorists and commanders. He keyed in on Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa, which he says has approximately 1,500 patient beds. And beneath it, an underground terrorist base and Hamas headquarters. Hagari also played a recorded conversation in which a man refers to the Al-Qasim Brigades, a branch of the Hamas terrorist group. Hagari then shared another recorded conversation in which he said a senior Gazan energy official reported that Hamas has over a quarter million gallons of diesel fuel obtained through people in charge of the hospital. The IDF on Friday released another video of an overnight operation in the Gaza Strip, this one showing their naval commando unit in action. Also on Friday, Hamas called for a ceasefire, saying they would release the hostages if Israel stopped its military operations. But Israel appears determined to never allow Hamas to attack them again after they killed over 1,400 innocent civilians in Israel on October 7th. This Gazan woman seems unfazed by the ongoing operations. We don't care about everything they are doing to hurt us. Even if no home, child, woman or anyone was left, we will force them to leave our lands with everything we have. Also on Friday, a video captured a rocket hitting a building in Tel Aviv. Four people were injured in the attack. Israel's defense minister said their ground offensive will be difficult and it will require them to destroy the network of underground Hamas tunnels. Jason Perry, NTD News. As Israel is ramping up attacks against Hamas, President Biden orders new strikes against Iranian-backed groups that have been attacking U.S. troops. NTD's Iris Tau has more. President Biden this morning was briefed about the latest developments in Israel and Gaza. And Israel today announced that it's now expanding its ground operations in Gaza as prepares for the next stages of its war against Hamas. And the escalating situation also comes as the Pentagon announced that it's now sending about 900 U.S. troops to the Middle East after Iranian-linked militias attacked U.S. bases in the region. And President Biden on Thursday also announced that it's now ordering airstrikes against Iranian-linked targets in Syria. And this is what the administration said just hours before the strikes were announced. Watch. president said uh, we will not hesitate to protect our troops and our facilities, but we're going to do it at a time of our choosing, in a manner of our choosing. And amid all this, President Biden today also met with China's top diplomat Wang Yi at the White House amid tense U.S.-China relations. The White House says President Biden emphasized the need for both countries to responsibly manage its relationship and competition and maintain open lines of communication. And just this week, Biden vowed to compete with China.
Watch. China is having their own internal and external difficulties right now. We're going to compete with China on every way according to the international rules, economically, politically, and other ways. But not, I'm not looking for conflict. And today's meeting is also seen as another step to lay the groundwork for a potential meeting between President Biden and China's Xi Jinping in November. But no announcement was made today. Back to you. Coming up, excitement and a sense of hope on Capitol Hill. A longtime friend of the new speaker says it's a welcome unity. He shares with us the secret to Johnson's success, his character. And it's flies against flies in Southern California. Officials deploy millions of sterile flies to combat a spike in a destructive invasive population. We'll have the details on that after the break. Welcome back. The new House Speaker, what's he really like? Why did colleagues vote for him? We spoke with a longtime friend of his, the president of the Family Research Council. Tony Perkins, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks. Great to be with you. To begin, you've been a longtime friend of Speaker Mike Johnson. He was just newly elected. Now, after he was elected, there's been a lot of news reports out about him, both negative and positive. But in your view, what kind of man is he? Well, he's actually what you see. Uh, I was just talking with him earlier today, and um, just you know, he, he he's just uh, amazed at how the the media has focused on so many different things. And of course, he's he's not focusing a lot on what's being said. He's got a lot of work to do, and so he's zeroing in on the mission before him. But I really do believe what he said on the floor uh, after he was elected by the by his colleagues is reflective of who he is. I've known Mike for probably over 25 years and and his he operates from his faith and and so that guides what he does and I think that made, was very clear nothing was forced it was just kind of who he is he's authentic and and I think his colleagues see that they know that that's why they have elevated him to this position to lead he's a it's a very thoughtful caring um, deep thinker and I think he's going to do quite well as speaker and I want to expand on that on X. You wrote that, quote, he'll lead with spiritual insight and political courage. Could you expand on that and give us a sense of what to expect from him as a legislative leader? You know, that, that, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, what does that mean? I actually think he, he's, he, has, he addressed that himself recently in an interview. He said, look, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And so if you want to know where I stand, just read the Bible. And so when it comes to these issues that we're wrestling with today in public policy, that's his view. But he said, now, I realize that I'm leading a delegate, I'm leading a conference uh, that is made up of diverse thinkers and uh, different districts. So that's my view, and I'm going to work toward consensus. And so he, he's not an enigma. He's not a puzzle to be figured out. He's made it very clear, and that's where I think— as Christians engage in the political process who are Bible-believing Christians, it's not difficult to know where we're, gonna, where we're coming from. Uh, we, as the founders of this country, believed that the, uh, the, the principles of Scripture give guidance to us in how we should live and how we should influence the world around us. 
And what is your message to those who say that faith and religion have no place in politics? Well, America wouldn't be here if that were the case. I mean, that's, that's what propelled this nation forward into a nation. And, and if those principles were good enough to build a nation upon, they're good enough to guide a nation by today. And so it's not that it's to the exclusion of everything else, but they have every right uh, to be a part of the process. And, and, and again, he's the, he's the speaker. He's not the dictator. Uh, there are still, he's just one vote in a body of, uh, you know, uh, over 400 people. So yes, he's going to lead from that perspective, but he's not going to dictate. Mm. And now you've spoken to lawmakers and newsmakers on your show, Washington Watch, over the past few days about Speaker Johnson. What has their reaction been? Well, in the House, I would tell you this, there's a lot of excitement um, because, well, first off, you had three weeks where there was just kind of wandering in the wilderness, and now uh, they've got a leader, and they're coming out of that uh, that, that period of chaos. And, and it's a leader that they trust. And Mike has built relationships over the years with members, frankly, on both sides of the aisle. And, and so I think there's a, there's a sense of enthusiasm. There's a sense of hope. Um, and, and so uh, everything I have seen and heard is, is very positive. And, and I'm very excited about um, not just the, uh, the prospects for you know his relationship with members, but also the leadership team is going to be more unified than we've seen in years. Uh, he and uh, the majority leader Steve Scalise work very closely together, and that's not something we've seen in, uh, in thus far. The Speaker McCarthy and, and and Leader Scalise did not work that closely. Those offices didn't work that closely together. I think you're going to see a seamless leadership team, which is going to be very helpful in leading the caucus and the Congress forward. Mm. You mentioned unity. It sounds like you're hopeful for the direction our country's going in. Well, I, I mean, you've got to be hopeful. I mean, we need to be hopeful. We've got to be optimistic. Yes, we're facing some significant challenges. Yes, we are a nation that's divided. But here we see this ray of light. And I, I said this uh, in some interviews earlier this week. I, I, we've seen for the first time, We've seen the Republicans uni unified in electing a Republican since 2011, our uh, speaker. That's the first time we've seen the entire Republican caucus vote collectively for a speaker. Um, but I actually think you're going to see some Democrats. In fact, in, in a conversation I had earlier today, uh, you're going to see, I think, some relationships built on the other side of the aisle that's going to allow the Congress to do some significant things. Well, Tony Perkins, thank you so much for your time. It's an invasive fruit fly showdown. Los Angeles is under siege by destructive Mediterranean fruit flies. NTD's Stephanie Sakal has the story. Los Angeles is facing an aerial battle against invasive Mediterranean fruit flies. Following the discovery of these destructive flies in Lemert Park, a 69-square-mile quarantine was imposed by the California Department of Food and Agriculture. To combat this threat, officials plan to use small planes to release millions of sterile male fruit flies into the quarantine area over six months or longer. This strategy aims to reduce the population as the sterile males mate with females, preventing offspring. The quarantine covers parts of downtown and South L.A. 
with residents urged not to transport fruits or vegetables and to properly dispose of them within the zone. Local fruit vendors are aware of this. People from the agriculture department have come and told us that we have to cover this with a white fabric on top of the produce so that the insects stay away from the fruit and vegetables. So far it hasn't affected our business, but things could change. Mediterranean fruit flies, though small, can cause significant crop damage. The flies to be released in Los Angeles will be marked with a distinctive purple dye. In another incident, the Stevenson Ranch area faced a quarantine due to the discovery of invasive tau fruit flies. Agricultural officials are addressing the apprehense of Queensland fruit flies in a residential neighborhood throughout a scheduled news conference in Thousand Oaks. Stephanie Sakal, NTD News, California. Coming up, as the Pentagon conducts airstrikes and sends additional troops to the Mideast, what are the chances of even more U.S. involvement? We speak with a law professor and author who says the U.S. is facing a serious risk in the region. Found in the pockets of Hamas terrorists, a powerful drug called Captagon, a favorite among Middle East terrorist groups because it helps them fight. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis outlining his China policy, how the GOP presidential hopeful plans to protect Americans from the CCP's global ambitions. And the sudden death of China's former Premier Li Keqiang. He was a former ally of Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping. Stay tuned for more after the break. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Two days after a deadly shooting in Maine, the suspect is still at large. A close friend of his saying that the search will be difficult due to the suspect's military background. New Israeli intelligence revealing that the Hamas terrorist group's headquarters is stationed right beneath a hospital in Gaza. This follows Jerusalem's naval forces conducting overnight patrols off the coast of the disputed territory. President Trump's daughter Ivanka is now required to testify in the New York civil fraud trial. This comes as special counsel Jack Smith drops his request for Trump's fundraising records. As charges mount, Congressman George Santos once again pleading not guilty. The new charges allege that he stole thousands of dollars using donors' credit cards. As the Pentagon responds to attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East with airstrikes and additional troops deployments, what are the risks of continued escalation? We spoke with a distinguished professor of law at the University of Mississippi and the author of several books, including Disinformation, who says additional U.S. involvement in the Mideast poses a serious risk. Ron Reichlack, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks. Delighted to be here. Now, the U.S. is boosting its presence in the Middle East. It's sending 900 troops there. This comes on the heels of a series of attacks on American troops. How should we read this? Is the U.S. getting involved in the region? I think the U.S. has been involved. I mean, it's a question of how much we're ramping things up. And I do think with all the moving pieces going on that uh, there's a serious risk of us getting involved in a much bigger battle than, than we've seen so far. 
And I want to touch on that. So following these attacks on U.S. troops, the U.S. military struck two Iran-linked sites in Syria. Right now, it almost seems like we're fighting proxy wars. What would it take to escalate it to a direct conflict with Iran? Well, I think that the, that what everyone is trying to hold back on and, and, and figure out is what the response from Israel is going to be into the Gaza Strip. And I, I, I think Israel has telegraphed that they're prepared, and they've even gone in a little bit. Certainly, they've been making strikes. Uh, if that evolves into a, a full-out invasion, uh, then what happens from Syria, from the other side? Do they try to take advantage and, and put Israel in a two-front war? If that happens, you know, Israel is our friend in the Middle East. That's uh, That's been the, the politics of the United States and Israel for a long time. Uh, would we probably go in somehow to try to help and defend them? My guess is yes. Might Israel be inclined to make strikes that are more significant than we might want? That's also a risk as well. So I think we're playing on a very dicey field right now, not really sure where it's going to end up. And on that note, what strategies do you think need to be employed so that this Israel-Hamas war doesn't escalate? Well, I, I actually think we're trying to do all of the correct things. There are ongoing negotiations. You know, uh, the Palestinians apparently have live hostages, and um, I think that's probably caused some restraint from Israel from going in. Uh, and if they can broker an exchange that way, we won't have the invasion. If we can release the hostages, maybe there's a way out of that. The, the problem is that this issue has gone on forever. Hamas is recognized as a designated terrorist organization, uh, and it's in control of, pa of Palestine, of that, you know, the Gaza Strip, I should say. It's uh, the ruling government. And in that scenario, it's just—it seems to be impossible to work out a long-term working relationship. So that's why there's argument saying Israel needs to take out Hamas, not all of Palestinians, but get rid of the controlling leadership. Um, that's— it would be nice if that could be done peacefully, but um, that's not the way it's heading, it looks like. Mm. And when it comes to this Israel-Hamas war, there is, of course, the kinetic element, but there's also the information war that seems to be happening. You have a book on disinformation. How do we navigate this, whether it's what we see on social media, the rise in AI? Yeah, it's huge, and that really has been a tactic that Hamas, Hezbollah, other groups in the Middle East have really uh, deployed, where we hear about bombing of the hospital, and you know, and that there's horrible stuff going on. Then it turns out it probably wasn't Israel who bombed the hospital. Uh, it was probably a misfired rocket, in fact, from Hamas. Um, that's an old technique uh, that's been in play in the Middle East for, for my life, anyway. Uh, and what we have to do, soldiers and generals make decisions in a matter of, of minutes, if not seconds. Those of us at home who have a little more time to digest need to take that time to digest before we make rash decisions. We need to look and, and, and uh, question information that comes, particularly when it comes from a partisan source. Uh, and uh, uh, that was true during World War II, certainly, true during Vietnam, and it's true today. There will be depictions designed strictly to influence the, the, the populace to say that 
they're the bad guys, not us. And you've got to double check uh, those matters and and probably give it a little time to percolate too, because a lot of times what seems to be the story one day has changed dramatically a, a week later. We did see that in terms of this hospital blast reporting. Well, Ron Rischleck, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Inside the pockets of Hamas terrorists, investigators found a powerful drug called Captagon. It's been called the jihadist drug and has also been used by ISIS terrorists. NTD's fake order has more. Captagon, a powerful stimulant, was reportedly found in the pockets of dead or captured Hamas terrorists who attacked Israel on October 7th. Captagon is an amphetamine, originally created in the 1960s in Germany to combat ADHD and narcolepsy while stimulating the central nervous system. Most countries stopped using Captagon in 1986 because of its addictive properties and adverse effects. But its popularity remained strong in the Middle East, despite being banned by Middle Eastern governments. It became very popular for terrorist leaders in various groups to give to individuals first in the process of um, breaking them down mentally and indoctrinating them, and also in particular before operations, because it gave, it gave, it made them more hyperactive, more ruthless. Geopolitical analyst Irina Zuckerman says the terror groups use the drug to control the fighters. They become more compliant, more open to suggestion, and more addicted. Its primary function is to increase this combat readiness, and you, you can even see uh, from watching some of these terrorists from their own uh, videos that they filmed uh, with body cameras, uh, that they looked significantly more alert, significantly more uh, hyperactive. Although it's banned in the Middle East, terror groups like Hezbollah produce it cheaply and easily. They also smuggle it through various ports. Experts believe most production takes place in Syria, where an estimated $3.5 billion worth of Captagon was exported in 2020. Fake Quarter, NTD News. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis outlining his China policy today at the Heritage Foundation. The GOP presidential candidate highlighted the importance of protecting America from the looming threat of the Chinese Communist Party. Take a listen. The threat posed by the CCP requires our primary focus and attention right now. Our goal from a national security perspective vis-a-vis -vis the CCP is very simple. We win and they lose. During a speech, he said that China is bolstering Iran and Russia through financial support amid the ongoing warfare in the Middle East and Ukraine. And the end goal is to distract the U.S. with lengthy geopolitical conflicts and ultimately deplete its weapons stockpile. On the military front, the governor proposed an expansion of the U.S. Navy's fleet with an additional 600 warships within the next two decades. DeSantis also promised to make it easier for Taiwan to purchase advanced weapons. On the issue of supply chains, the presidential candidate said he'd counter China by pushing for more domestic mining and production of rare earth minerals. These are essential components of advanced technologies. Worth noting, this wasn't the first time DeSantis took jabs at China. Earlier this year, the Sunshine State enacted a series of laws restricting Chinese nationals from purchasing land near critical infrastructures and military bases. China's former CCP Premier Li Keqiang has died. Chinese state media says he died of sudden heart failure shortly after midnight. He was 68 years old. 
Li served as China's premier in Shanghai since 2013, when he took office with current regime leader Xi Jinping. He served as the second highest-ranking official in China until early this year. Li Keqiang was known as a political ally of Xi Jinping throughout his tenure. He was also the second-ranked member of the seven-man CCP Politburo Standing Committee, but he was dropped from the position last year at a party congress. That was despite being two years below the informal retirement age of 70. Coming up in college football, what exactly is the sign stealing Michigan has been accused of and what could the NCAA do to prevent it? And a popular mural of the legendary Kobe Bryant has been saved. We look at how fans came together to push for the artwork's preservation after the break. Welcome back. And now for your sports news, we welcome NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, plenty of sports going on. Let's begin with the World Series, which starts tonight. Now, Texas getting here was expected, but not so for Arizona. Is there a sense of fans rooting for them as the heavy underdog? You know, not as much as you, th- you would think. You know, there's actually some dismay that a team that had this poor of a record that was outscored by their opponents during the regular season could actually win it all. Now, certainly the best team doesn't win it all always in baseball, but even they were even outscored by the Phillies by nine runs just over the seven-game set. Uh, they really won it with some timely hitting. Uh, now, if, admittedly, if they did win it all this year, I think it would actually probably be a very fitting ending to what's been a very unusual postseason. Hmm. And baseball is also a sport that dates back to the late 1800s. Has there ever been such a Cinderella story? Well, you know, the Minnesota Twins back in 1987, they had a similar record. They were outscored by their opponents during the regular season. They won a very weak uh, West Division uh, at the time, though. They won all six of their playoff home games. There was a little bit of mystery, though, because they played them in the Metrodome. There was a silly rumor that they would turn their massive unit, air conditioning unit, on and off at strategic times uh, to benefit them. Uh, but, you know, that title became legit four years later when roughly the same team uh, won the title again. Now, back in those days, though, there was only four playoff teams. Now there's 12, but they'll never roll that back. There's, there's way too much money involved. Now, moving over to college football, the alleged sign-stealing scandal at Michigan has been all the buzz this week, though not everyone understands it. Can you explain it in layman's terms? Yes, you know, every offensive play is decided by the coaching staff. Uh, But of course, you can't just yell to your players on the field. It's going to be too loud there. And if they could hear it, then the opposing team could probably probably could hear it as well. Uh, So you have nonverbal communication. Usually that's holding up multiple signs with symbols on them. Only the players know which one is real. Now, deciphering these signs, though, that's legal. What's illegal is going to games of your future opponents and looking at them and also doing any kind of video recording of the opponent's sidelines, that's not allowed. Hmm. And what has been the reaction around the game to this? Has there been a lot of outrage? You know, it's actually been kind of mixed. There's been some outrage, but some coaches have said, you know, this goes on all across the country. Others are saying, you know, the NCAA could easily put an end to this. You know, the NFL does not have this problem because the coaches can talk directly to their quarterbacks through their headset. They just put an earpiece in the helmet. 
Uh, but the NCAA, for whatever reason, has not allowed that. Some people have said it's because of cost. Uh, I've also heard that the NCAA thinks that would void the warranty of the helmets. Uh, in any case, though, I think the main question that everyone wants answered is who hired this investigative firm that handed the, the NCAA a ton of evidence against Michigan? Because if this is as widespread as some are saying it is, and this come from a rival opponent, it would, it would be interesting to see if there would be some payback going on. A mystery indeed. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. A beloved mural celebrating a legendary basketball star has been safeguarded, ensuring its preservation despite previous plans of removal. NTD's Christina Corona has more from the ribbon cutting in downtown Los Angeles. We're here in downtown Los Angeles where a popular mural of the legendary Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna Bryant is being displayed. With the help of Kobe's global fan base, this artwork is preserved for another year. The mural located outside of Hardcore Fitness at 400 West Pico Boulevard faced a threat as the building's owner allegedly insisted on its removal. 2K Games, the video game company that showcases the late Lakers legend on the NBA 2K24 cover, played a key role in reaching an agreement to safeguard the cherished mural. Ronnie Singh, the head of lifestyle and content marketing at 2K, tells us... There was a petition started, it got 90,000 signatures, and as the brand that we are and the responsibility we feel that basketball is so important to us, we got involved and we're like, hey, look, any way we can save this mural, we're going to do that. Singh says 2K Games gave a philanthropic donation to the landlord. Weeks and months, people have lined up in front of this beautiful mural, taking pictures, and for us to be a part of saving this thing um, is just a celebration of basketball and something that means so much to us as a video game. The mural, created by At Slow Motions, is about a half mile away from Crypto.com Arena. But over 600 murals of Kobe Bryant are painted across dozens of countries worldwide. Basketball means so much, and L.A. is the epicenter and one of the best places that basketball fans celebrate basketball, watch basketball. So for us, it was very important for us to give to this community, the people that come and take pictures with us every day. We spoke to several fans who tell us what they admire most about Kobe Bryant. The Mamba mentality was not, you can take that with your whole life. It doesn't just have to focus on basketball, just being dependable, being driven, wanting to be the best. So sometimes in the morning, uh, I wake up and just listen to Kobe on YouTube, you know, motivational speeches, like whatever, you know, he has to say sometimes. It's just a motivational thing. Kobe Bryant, what an unbelievable player from what I've seen, uh, from what, what people say as well. You can only go based off what people say and the records that he set during his time, and it's fantastic. The rededication ceremony took place just hours before the Lakers' home opener against the Phoenix Suns. The agreement to keep the mural up runs until October 31st, 2024. Christina Corona, NTD News, Los Angeles. If you have any news tips or feedback for this show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. That's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.